But go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with as we study God's Word. Uh, I would just encourage you, if you want to write down some notes, grab out something to write that down. If you want to write down what I want you to write down, what I think you should write down, you can pull up the Victory Church app, uh, have all of the the fill-in-the-blank notes that we're going to have today, as well as all of the scriptures that we reference throughout the sermon. Uh, It's in any app store you want, just search Victory Harvest. You can download that. Probably you can have it downloaded by the time I hit the first point today, all right? So just go ahead and put that out. If you have your phone out, I'm just assuming you're downloading the app. That's just what we do, all right? Being super spiritual out there. But we have that. It's a great place to do your devotions as well. has all of the Bible readings throughout the year. Just a, I think it's a great resource for your spiritual life. So I would just encourage you to get that and follow along with us today during the sermon. But grab out your Bibles. Uh, I... I've kind of gone back and forth on what Summer at Victory looks like and how it should be shaped. But honestly, the best definition I've come up for this series, and we do this each year during the summer months, is it's a series of standalone messages. So they're not really connected to each other. But each one just kind of addresses a particular topic that I think is important in our life as Christians, in the body of Christ. And this summer in particular, I am so excited. We have some guest speakers from within our own church body that are going to be speaking during this series. And I myself am so excited. These are some voices that I have long tried to get up here to preach to you guys. And it's going to be an amazing, amazing time. I'm looking forward to growing and you guys can just come along. All right. That's just going to be an incredible thing. But each week we're addressing something. Then honestly, I talked a little bit about it last week, that in our Christian life, we tend to have areas that drift. Or we tend to have areas that kind of slip. We start out with great intentions. Come on, we, we think, I'm going to do this. And then a week or a month or a year passes by, and we start to kind of shift or drift a little bit away from the original intentions that we had. We understand this concept in other areas of life, right? We understand it in our physical health. We say in our minds, okay, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to make this part of my food eating a particular type. We're going strong and then things start to kind of creep back up. One Oreo turns into two Oreos, turns into 17 Oreos, turns into... Then you've eaten four dozen and you're weeping about your failure, right? Like it's just an amazing thing. Or one, we say in our lives, right, not just physical health, but we say I'm going to discipline my spending, And one Amazon box turns into two Amazon boxes, turns into 600 Amazon boxes. Like you can just build your own house out of your Amazon boxes. Until you start having boxes arrive, you don't even know what's inside of them. Like it's like, anybody, anybody, just me, just my family. You just look outside and you're like, there's a box. I don't, it's called primnesia, by the way. I just want to give you the real, the real thing. You like order things and you don't even know what's in the box. Anybody have that? Nobody, just us. It's just our sickness. Where you just like, I see people pointing at other people over here. It's great. We have, I just, you're thinking like, like, what did I, what did you order? I don't remember what I ordered. We just got, but we, we start to slip. Then we get back. No, I'm going to discipline my my spending. I'm going to, I'm going to, and then we get another array of boxes outside. And this same principle drifts itself into our spiritual lives. Where we start out with great intentions. We set the stage for incredible success. And then a few months later, we don't even recognize where we are anymore. We're not anywhere near. And I want to set the stage uh, for our study today. Because a lot of Christians kind of get confused about the principle that we're going to talk about. And so I want to set it out from the outset. And that is, in fact, I think a lot of people believe that when you come to Christ, when you become a Christian, when you give your heart to the Lord and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of you, that then everything just 100% works out right. 
that like everything just suddenly and they'd never be tempted to sin ever again and there'll never be any problem. We just serve the Lord the rest of our lives, kumbaya, go into the great by and by and we never do anything wrong and we never have any temptations for the rest of our lives. Now, it's true, the Bible says, God makes all things new and the Holy Spirit does come to live on the inside of us, guiding us and teaching us and reminding us of God's word. Those things are true, but the reality is the human part of us The flesh part, the Bible calls, our sinful nature, while we are on this earth, this flesh is still here. And there is a battle we need to take a look at today. Because if you're not aware of it, you will just assume that I'd made my decision to follow Christ. And now I don't have to do anything for the rest of my life. That it all just will work out in the kumbaya. So time and time you will hear people say things like, well, people are inherently good. Like, I know, I know there's people who make bad, but people inherently are good, which is absolutely false, everybody. I just want to encourage you in God's house today. We are evil and we seek our own destruction, all right? That's just going to put that out there to you. If you are honest with yourself, we are inherently evil and we pursue sin. It's what sin does. It's why we needed a Savior. If we were inherently good, if, we, if left to ourselves, we made all the right choices, we did all the best things. If left to ourselves, we did everything correct, we would not need a Savior to pay the price for our sins, for Jesus to come and rescue us. But let me tell you, honestly in God's house, how much we needed a Savior. How much we needed redemption and resurrection. And so we have this sin thing that lives on the inside of us, in our flesh, the Bible says, and now we have to deal with it. Learning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Learning to listen to the voice as we walk through temptations and things in life. Paul goes into this in the book of Romans. You remember the verse that's kind of hard to read and understand. You've got to read it like six times where he says, The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't do, I want to do, but I do do. And it's just a whole big thing, right? You have to like read that over and over and over. But Paul is saying the things inside of me that I want to do so badly. And we can, we can relate, right? He says, I don't do. But those things that I know I'm not supposed to, and those I feel this pull towards, he talks about it in Romans, and then he talks about it in Galatians. He's writing this to the church in Galatia, to Christians. And watch what he says in chapter 5. He says, this sinful nature, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So there's this war raging on the inside of you. Between what the spirit wants, what we know we should do, And what the flesh wants to do in conflict so that you are not doing whatever it is you want. And watch this in the next verse. He says, he begins to say, there's this war inside, these forces. You have a conflict, so you cannot carry out, one translation says, your good intentions. Come on, your good intentions. We all have good intentions. But he says there's a war inside of us where you can't carry those out. That the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You genuinely want to do what's right. And yet every day we're faced with this challenge. Paul talks about this, I crucify myself daily. We're faced with this challenge to do what is right, but we fill this pull to do what is wrong. And the Bible talks about it in James chapter 1. And listen, this is one of those sermons where I am preaching to myself and I say, you guys get to come along for the ride. This is a war that's within us daily that we have to settle in our hearts, that we have to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't, James chapter 1, it lays out the path we take towards sin. The steps we take. Because it's not all at once you wake up one morning and you decide, today I'm going to experience death because I just want to sin. That's just what I want to do. But we let ourselves be led down a path. And James lays it out for us about this this path we take towards sin. And then I want to talk at the end of the sermon about how we can be set free of it. 
How, what, what do we do when we realize this, this pattern in our lives, this cycle of sin that we find ourselves caught in? And then how do we be set free from it? How do we get free from this stuff? All right, first of all, let's read the chapter in James chapter 1. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So first of all, I just want to look at that because I think in this verse alone, there are some misconceptions about the Christian life and about the world around us that we need to set free. Just to pause for it, just because I think the devil gets a whole lot more credit for things than we should probably give him. Because James is talking about, James not even bringing that into the equation. Right? He says, each person tempted, dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. That sometimes, especially in the Christian world, we, we have this evil desire dragging us away. And we give the devil a whole lot more credit because we don't want to have any blame ourselves. And we say, well, the devil made me do it. And the devil didn't make you do your own evil desires and enticed. And then it goes on to say, after desire is conceived, then it gives birth to sin. So watch this pattern here. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So this is the path that we walk. This is, if you want to know the pattern of cycle of sin in your life, if you just can't figure out how you find yourself at the end of this equation, watch the pattern that he walks through. That he says, even as Christians, this is written to Christians, even as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have desires that are aroused inside of us, evil desires enticing. And if we don't silence them by the voice of the Holy Spirit, we will give in to them. That then they become sin. Some of them were sin from the beginning with. Some of them, the place we have allowed them to be in our lives causes them to be sin. We give in to those, and then at the end, it brings death. Now, the word in the Greek New Testament for death there, it does mean a physical death, but there's also a deeper spiritual death that it's talking about. And so sometimes we won't notice it, the death it brings in our physical life. We're thinking like Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, I'm still alive. I'm still walking around. It's not really death. I didn't surely die, but we're experiencing spiritual death. That word in the New Testament, it means separation. It means separation. And so some of us, because of the sin we've allowed, because of desires that have grown to enticements, that grown into sin, that's grown now given death, we've been separated in our relationship with God. And not hearing his voice anymore in our lives, not seeking his will for the things that we do. We're experiencing a spiritual death. It's what sin brings all along the way. Now let's go back to verse 14. It says, each one tempted by his own desire, dragged away and enticed. So you have this desire that raises on the inside of us. Jot it down if you're taking notes. First of all, we say, I want it. If it's a desire that we have, the first thing we say in our lives is, I want it. I want that in my life. I want it. We have this evil desire that rises up inside of us and boil down to one simple phrase in our lives. We might not say it, but we think it when we have the I want it. I want that thing. And I just want you to know there is an entire industry like like pointing billions and billions of dollars towards you to convince you of the fact that you want it. Now, it may be things they are selling you that are just products. It may be actual sin. It may, whatever it is, they want to get it so inside of you that it, advertisements and money and things spent tracking the way that you think and the way your brain works to make you desire whatever it is that they're selling. And subconsciously, on some level, they throw all those things at you. They know exactly the color scheme and the advertisement and the type of thing to make you say, I want it. I want it. And we all fall for it, right? Like, this is a material world and you are a material girl. Come on, somebody. Like, it just, like, it's just the fact of life. Come on, all together in this. It's going to, like, give it to me. I want that thing. It may be something you didn't know existed till that moment that they showed it to you. And you're like, how did I live without this thing? 
How many even know where that thing is anymore? Like in some drawer, you can't even find it, but you had to have it. I want it. It's something even about infomercials that just something. If you've ever looked at like the structure of an infomercial, the way they try to get you hooked, the way they try to get, it's like 4 a.m. You're sitting on your couch and it's like, I have to have that. I have to. And you wake up at eight like, dear Lord, what did I buy? Like, what did I, what is coming to my, and then that box from Amazon shows up. Come on. It's all a pattern, everybody. It's just a thing in its life. I want it. But let's just be honest in God's house. How many of us have been tricked into those things that we want? So let's just be, how many in this room today? How many of you guys, how many Snuggie owners do we have today? Come on, somebody. Like how many people, 440 million of those things sold, right? There's got to be somebody in the house. Here we go. We got a few. Some of you are like reluctant to raise your hand. You're like, like, don't be messing with my Snuggie. Like, don't be, you think I'm going to make fun of you. And I am. Come on, somebody. I'm going to have a good time. You're like, talk about my sin, not my Snuggie. Like, don't mess with my, don't mess with my Snuggie. Only in America can we have a blanket that doubles as clothing. That's the only place, like, it's the only, I'm ready. All right, let's just move aside from the side. How many total gym owners do we have? And how many of you guys would admit that's $400 million, $4 billion they have sold a total gym? Come on, how many, how many of you ever met? Let's just be honest in God's house. You ever met anybody who's like shredded? Like they are cut, they are lean, they are incredible shape. And you're like, tell me the secret of how you got to be this way. And they're like, total gym. It was the total, it was that. <laughs> Never, not once does it ever. But it's 2 a.m., and you're sitting there eating potato chips and you see Chuck Norris on your screen and you're like, I want it. I have to be that. That's what I have to go on. P90X. That was the thing when I was in college. That thing. Cause I, and I understand. Like you buy 800 DVDs because everybody wants to be Tony Horton. 100 years old and still like shredded. Everybody wants that. And so a buddy of mine in college bought all of the DVDs. Probably like mortgaged his parents' house just to buy them. And got all those things. We did it for 30 seconds and I gave up everybody. I was done. I don't need that in my life, but I want it. I see that thing, that flashing light, that whatever it is, and I have to have it. And we tell ourselves, I want it. I want it. And the devil convinces us that we want it. The Bible talks, the first step in this cycle of sin, evil desires that entice us. And the devil is able to convince us, and most of the time we're able to convince ourselves, I want it. And sometimes it might not even be Sin. Some of it may be sin just on its face, but some of it, some of these things that we are enticed our desires for, sometimes the place we give them in our lives and the attention and the time and the effort that we pour into them is what actually crosses the line. And it becomes a form of idolatry. In our lives, if we say, I got to have that relationship and I won't be secure or significant until I have that possession and I won't have meaning in my life until I have that opportunity. And we put it into a place of an idol in our lives and we begin to draw our identity from it. We begin to draw our security from it. We think that if I just had that, I would be happy. I would be significant. And there's all different types of ways that we justify it. All different types of ways. And the problem is we start attaching our significance and our identity to stuff. And so the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, watch this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't. Because reality is, if you get in this cycle, you will never have enough. And I know we all do go through the mental gymnastics of thinking, well, that rich person who says they're unhappy, they just don't know how to spend their riches. If I had their riches, I would, I would figure out how to be happy. And we sell this lie to ourselves. That if I just had that, 
Drawing our significance and our value and our identity from relationships and things and the things that we own. And I just want to tell you, if you live like that, you will always be miserable. It will never satisfy. You'll be in a conversation with somebody who is a precious child of God, loved by Christ, probably very successful. But you'll always be looking over their shoulder thinking, is anybody more important going to walk into the room so I can go talk to them? Or you'll never be happy with the things that you have or content with the things God has blessed you with because you'll always be thinking, if I just had what so-and-so has, if I, just, I just have, if I just could get what they want, then I would be significant and I won't be happy until I have it. And I'm just telling you, it is no way to live life. You will always be miserable. We've got to understand that we are tempted by these things. It's just this simple little, I want it, I want it. Well, the process goes on. Verse 14, after desire is conceived... Watch what comes next. It says, then it gives birth to sin. So we start to put these things in a place of an idol in our lives. In our hearts, we start to worship stuff. We start to worship relationships. We start to worship the things that come into our lives. start to worship the stuff. And here's what we say to justify it. Not only do I want it, but now I deserve it. I want it, and so therefore I must deserve it, right? Because I'm a good person. And we start to say, I I give and I serve, and and I I reach out to others, and I do these things. So I know that this one area is sin, but I deserve it. And it's not that big a deal, because I do all of these other things, so I deserve this. And it's okay for me to do it. Here's a verse I want you to see, and we're going to teach out of this probably the rest of the morning. I have the right to do anything, Paul says. He said, you say this, but not everything is beneficial. And Paul goes on to talk about how he says, I have for me, it is permissible. All things permissible, but not beneficial. This idea of this, I just want you to see, so many things we allow in our lives that aren't against the law of God. And they're not on their face of it. They're not against the word of God. But they are not beneficial in the way that we use them or abuse them. They are not beneficial in the way we allow it. And the way we actually allow these things to control our lives is what crosses the line. I want you to understand that today. He says, all things permissible, but not beneficial. Like we understand this in other areas of life. He said, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. He says, I have the right. I have everything permissible, but not beneficial. Listen to me, everybody. 36 Krispy Kreme donuts is not a sin. All right. I'm just going to, we'll just get a metaphor we can all understand. Somebody talked to me about Krispy Kreme yesterday. And so it's been on my mind. Not a sin. 36 Krispy Kreme donuts. Three dozen to eat them all at once is not a sin. But it is not beneficial. Come on, somebody. Like, I just, we understand this concept. Permissible, but not beneficial. I remember the first time I realized that I had a vehicle that I could drive, a source of income, and I could drive myself to Krispy Kreme and buy as many donuts as I wanted. It was like salvation. Come on, somebody. Like, it was like, like, this is good news. Like, they baptize them in icing and they give them to me hot. It is amazing. It is, it is a gift of God to my life. And so I realized I will take all of them. I will buy. We started to organize when I was in college. We used to take trips to Chattanooga with five guys to try to go eat Krispy Kreme at two in the morning. That was like the, the thing we had to do every week. And so five of us would get a half gallon of milk apiece. And then we would get two dozen donuts at two in the morning. And I just want you to know I would eat all 24 because I am a finisher, everybody. All right. I finish what I start. Your pastor is a winner. It was like sin, to be honest with you. If I, if I could, I was struggling to come up with a metaphor for here, but this is a good one. It was like sin. You are eating those things thinking, this is amazing. I'm on like donut number 14. I'm like, this is incredible. They are so hot and they melt in my, and in the back of your head, it's thinking, you're going to pay for this. There's going to be a payment required for this thing. And then you think, nah, it's not going to get me. 
It's not going to affect me. This thing's not going to get in my life. How many know a few hours later, I paid for it. Everybody. That's when you, you understand sin always has a price that you have to pay. Permissible, not beneficial. And so Paul is talking about this. There are things in life, permissible things, though, that we let go too far. And watch this. When sin is full grown, watch back to our verse in James. It talks about when sin is full grown, then it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Death. You experience death. A few hours later, I experienced death. Come on, somebody. It's just after a few hours of that, it's just death. And so Paul goes on to say permissible, but not beneficial. Everything permissible. We allow things in our life that are permissible. Things that on their face are not sin. And honestly, this is where so many arguments in the body of Christ come into. Because people say, well, so-and-so did this, or so-and-so does that, or so-and-so. I just think, and in moderation, in some ways, this is the way that we look at. But people make these arguments, and then they allow things to control their life. And don't realize that they have crossed the line into sin. And listen, I know it's a hard area to listen to and to understand, but it is so important for us to realize when things begin to control our lives, when they take that place of idolatry in our lives, it becomes sin. And the Bible says, no, you're going to reap death from that. And here's what we say. No, I can handle it. Not only do I want it, not only do I deserve it, but I can handle it. And we don't realize how far gone we actually are. The truth is you can't handle it, the sin that pursues us and produces death in our lives. And I love the second part of Corinthians. We read verse 12, everything permissible. He goes on to say, but I will not be mastered by anything. I heard an old preacher preach this verse one time, uh, and he got up and he was preaching how Paul said, I won't be mastered by anything. And he told us all in the audience, he said that, that he loved bananas. And how he would eat bananas every morning for breakfast, every day of his life. He was going to eat bananas. And he said that that week he had decided, I'm not going to eat bananas anymore. Because ain't nothing going to be the master of me. Nothing's going to control me. I'm no more bananas. Ain't nothing going to master me. Now, the first thought I had was, you are bananas. Like, that's just what I, we just got to be honest in that. But it stuck with me. That moment <laughs> stuck with me. And I wrote down what came next. I wrote it in one of my Bibles that I used for a lot of years. You can jot it down if you're taking notes and listen to me. All that you cannot give up controls you. All that you cannot give up controls you. And I'm not talking about bananas. You understand that, everybody, all right? I'm talking about the things that we let into our lives that we say is not a big deal. I want it. I deserve it. And then we get to this place where sin is having death in our lives because we tell ourselves, well, I can handle it. And the truth is you cannot. And sometimes you don't even realize it until you wake up a total prisoner to sin mastered by it. So that day you wake up with this realization and chains to it and you didn't even realize the cycle you were walking down. That it may sound strong, but I'm going to say something to you today. That I think every person in this room watching online, I think all of us are mastered by something. And you say, well, that sounds kind of strong, Pastor. And I don't think it is. I don't care what you say. All right, everybody? I think all of us have an area of our life that we have tried to deal with. That we have been unsuccessful, tried to get rid of that we have been and we have allowed it to master us. And it may be sin on its face, and it may not be. It may be something we've just put into a place of idolatry, but it is dominating us. An area of our lives where the Holy Spirit does not call all of the shots. We all have it, myself included. We all have these areas that we are learning to be more and more like Christ, but we are not there yet. And so for a lot of us, we have to deal with these areas in our lives. So my question for you today is then, what has you mastered? What has you mastered? Could be drugs. 
could be the things we've done. It could be prescription medication, could be alcohol, could be sex, could be whatever it is, could be these things, could be just binge watching things that you are taking time away from the things that actually matter in life, could just be an addiction to scrolling through a particular app or whatever it is. I don't know what it is on the face of it, but the way that we view it and the way we consume it, it has become sin for us. Could be a little retail therapy. Can I get a little amen in God's house today, right? Like I just, I feel bad, so I take the credit card and I feel good again. I just, for that little story, whatever it is, but it has us mastered. It has us mastered. And we tell ourselves things like, well, I deserve it. So at least I don't do that. You're listening to the list and you're like, well, that's worse than that. That's worse than my thing. Our pastor didn't tell my specific thing from the pulpit, so it must be okay. He just didn't quite get around to my thing. And I just, at least I don't do that. And yet this thing still has us mastered. It still has us controlled. And Paul says, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. So what do we do about it? How do we walk out of this thing? How do we fix it? First Corinthians, I want to pull some things from this passage and we're going to pull a couple of, I want to read through it. We'll pull some principles. I think this is God's, this is God's pattern. If we're in a pattern stuck in a cycle of sin, watch this. This is the way out. And so watch out of 1 Corinthians. He says in verse 12, first of all, a warning. If you think you are standing strong. And so if you've gotten to this place in the message and you think this is not for you. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. And then he says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He won't allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he shows you a way out so that you can endure. So here's God's answer to temptations that come into our lives. Bible tells us how to overcome it with this mindset of God's promise. So we're going to go through this in the Living Bible. It's a paraphrase. So I want you to be very careful in how you use this. So I am very careful in how I use these. But for this verse, I want to walk through it. I want to walk through it in this Living Bible because he says, so be careful If you are thinking, oh, I would never behave like that. Now, nobody has said that out loud today, but I imagine a great portion of us are thinking this all throughout the first half of the sermon. We're thinking, oh, I would never behave. First principle like that. Let this be a warning to you for you too may fall into sin. First principle we learned from this is if we're going to escape the cycle of sin, first thing we have to do is be humble. First thing we have to do in our lives is to be humble. Because so many of us would say, oh, this is a great sermon, Pastor. I love it. This is all. I love when you preach about sin. And I love when you preach about, you know, repentance. And I love when you come down hard because my brother needs to hear what you have to say. And I love what you're saying. Oh, Pastor, you made it so good. If my nephew could just hear what you are saying, then it would just touch his heart and turn him around. Praise Jesus. It would turn him around. Or if my boss could just hear the things, Pastor, it would change my life. If my boss could just hear these things right now, it would just be incredible. Oh, this whole talk about sin and addiction, woo, it makes me feel so good. If I could just share this with somebody. And the Bible says, be careful. If you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. And we think, well, it would just help that person. And praise the Lord, I'm not like those people. Praise God, I'm just not like that person. Praise God, I wish they could hear it. And maybe you have heard somebody speak like this. Or maybe you are one of those people. Maybe that is the way that you talk. And we say things like, well, at least I don't do crack. At least I'm just not like that person who does, I just, I don't do crack. But we are driving down the road, glued to our cell phone, trying to scroll through Instagram, killing everybody on the road, like swerving into lanes because we have to see, like, did so-and-so like my post? Like, did they actually... 
Like, can I, oh, I got to go to the next one. Like, did someone, did they, I, I can't tell what the heart means. Like, do they really like what I, or maybe they don't really. And we're about to cause an eight car pileup, but at least we don't do crack. But we cannot put this thing down. And we will be with, listen to me, we will be with people that we love. But we will be glued to this thing. But at least we don't do crack. At least we're not addicted to that. You know, studies show that it has become, and I'm not going to harp on this. This is not a soapbox for today. But it has become as addicting as cocaine. That people are glued to that divide. We get where we get like 10, you go, you go like leave your house and you get in your car and realize you don't have it. You are like, the world has ended. I have to turn around. Like, I don't care if I'm late to work. I don't care. What, I have to have this next to me because somebody might, they might think I've died if I haven't posted in 10 minutes. I just, people will come looking for me if they don't hear what I have to say about every topic in the world. Come on, that's just not, that's not my soapbox for today. We got to be humble though because Paul talks about, we talk about, well, at least I don't do that. At least I'm not like those people. And we have our secret sin, but these are just issues. This isn't sin, right? They are sinful. I have issues. This is, that's how the world works. And Paul is telling us we are all one step from stupid, everybody. You understand this. Every single one of us. We got to be humble and realize the place that we live in our life. That there but by the grace of God go us. And so we need to be humble in our lives. Humble realizing if you think you are strong, you think you are standing firm, be careful. Be humble. Because watch this. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, you are just fooling yourself and not living in the truth. You think you got it all together. You got to be Accept the truth. Reality is all of us are flawed. So the first ditch that we can fall into under this heading would be, I would never. I would never. This is a ditch on the side of the road we can oftentimes stumble into. That I would never do something like that. And that's something I would never be like that. I wouldn't be like those people. And that's the first ditch we can fall into. There's another ditch on the other side Paul talks about in this same verse. The first one, this self-righteous view of ourselves. I would never fall into that. It would never get me. I would never. And then in verse 13, he says, remember this. These wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and they aren't anything different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you. They're not new and they're not different. In fact, many people have the same problem because there's this other ditch we fall into. The first one is of self-righteousness. I would never do that. That's one group of people. The second one are groups of people that you think, well, I'm the only. You leave services like this and you think, I am the only one who deals with the thing that I'm walking through. I am the only one in the history of this world who has had the struggles that I face. I am the only messed up person in this church. Everybody else is perfect. Everybody else is floating on a cloud. And I'm the only one here in the dirty now and now trying to deal with this thing. And there's this self-condemnation. One side has this self-righteousness. The other ditch we fall into is this self-condemnation of I'm the only one. In fact, you're thinking in your mind, like if I, if I actually let people know. And for the first time in my life, I was actually, you're thinking if I walked out of here today and I actually filled out a prayer card in the foyer at the prayer table. And I actually wrote down not what I just want people to pray for. I actually wrote down what I'm actually struggling for. What I'm actually going through. If I actually wrote the truth, you're convinced. I put that in the box that Monday morning you would get a call on your phone. And it would be a number you didn't recognize and you would pick up and it would be me. And I'd be like, yes, Mr. Smith. Yeah, this is Pastor Ben. Yeah, you you wrote a card yesterday, a prayer card. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just want you to know you are really messed up. Like, I read that thing, and I had to, like, I couldn't even tell you. You're going straight to hell. I'm so sorry. Yeah, we don't. Ooh, I've never seen anything like that in all my life. Yeah, that's, ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. We don't pastor people like that here at Victory. No, I'm sorry. We just don't have those. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to call and let you know, don't ever come back. We love you. Bye-bye. You've convinced yourself 
that you're the only one. And so some of you have fallen in the first ditch, self-righteousness, and we need to be humble in those things. But some of you have fallen in the second ditch of self-condemnation, and we also need to be humble and realize that not things we are going through are not new and they are not different. In fact, there's probably three people on your row who are experiencing the same type of issues you are walking through. And we got to realize in our life, we come to a place of humility that says, I know that I am not the only, you think I'm the only messed up person. I'm the only freak in church. I'm the only one. And yet there are others walking through those things, issues of identity, issues of the past, issues of things you say yes to that you know you're supposed to say no. People are walking through those things. And you think, well, I'm the only one who's stuck. I'm the only one who's suffering. I'm the only one who has to deal with these. And Paul's saying, don't think that way. Look at this. You don't have anything new. You don't have anything different. So here's the second principle of this verse, and that is we've got to be human. You've got to be humble, but John, if you're taking notes, you've got to be human. Because we have to be humble, but we have to, and it's human to fail. We, and all, last time I checked, all of us here are humans, all right, everybody? I don't know if you realize that. Now, the devil does this because he wants to convince you that you're the only one at church that deals with that, and so that you'll isolate yourself. You'll have the facade. You'll, you'll come up with a few prayer requests to say when everybody asks, but you will never say what's actually dealing in your heart. <clears throat> and the devil would love to isolate you. Honestly, he'd love for you to isolate yourself by convincing you that you're the only one. And here's a great principle. First John chapter 1. When we have these moments of self-condemnation, he says in First John, he says, but when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So here's the first part of this, and that is when you feel like I'm the only one or you feel like my sins are too great or you feel like I'm the freak in church. Here is the thing that he says. He says, when you go to God in repentance, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, one translation says. All. All unrighteousness forgiven under the blood of Jesus. All unrighteousness forgiven. This is incredible. Vertical confession is what brings forgiveness in our lives. Vertical confession, it's important, but that's where a lot of people stop. A lot of people stop at this verse and they say, okay, I've confessed it and I'm forgiven. And they stop here. And when they stop here, there's a cycle of sin where they continue to repeat the same mistakes. If you've ever been where you feel like I can't seem to break free of it. If you're in that place, you love the Lord, but you hate yourself because you can't seem to break free of it. Of whatever area it is, I'm just convinced you will go to heaven, but you will be miserable in the process. That you will be in this cycle of sin. Vertical confession that brings forgiveness, but freedom found in James chapter 5. Watch this, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Vertical confession brings forgiveness. Horizontal confession and prayer is what brings healing. This is why God placed us in the body of Christ. This is why when you see a cycle of sin that's wrapped up in your life, there is accountability that comes. It's why we do what we do here at the church. Because listen to me, you have to have a place where you come to the humility in yourself and the humanity that we endure, that you confess your sins and repent of your sins. But then there is accountability in your life that you don't slip back into the cycle of sin. Because you see that thing constantly creeping its ugly head up and you think, why do I keep this idea that God has placed us in accountability? It's why we do things. Because listen to me, to get into a place where you have accountability, you first have to be in a safe place to make that exchange. And I'll just be honest with you guys. Sunday mornings at the break is not the place to make that exchange. Like, how's your Sunday going? Oh, let me just tell you about my sins this week. Because this is not a safe place for that. 
There's a lot of people around, a lot of lights on, everybody talking and doing. That's not a safe place. It's why we have one-on-one prayer after the service. That's why you have that moment that you can have a safe spot. It's why we do small groups the way that we do. Because listen to me, we don't do small groups so you can get like better at your basketball game or like, you know, get out and walk and exercise together or really study God's word. All of those things happen. All of those things, you are growing and you are learning. Those things happen, but that's not why we do them. We do small groups for one reason, and that is so you can find one person, maybe two or three, but at least one other person that you can do this with. One other person that you can come in and say, this is what I'm actually dealing with. And not have them like clutch their pearls and be like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of anything like... No, look at them, then they would look at you and say, let's pray about that. Let's hold accountable. I've walked through that same thing and here's what we're going to do. Or look at you and say, I know somebody who walked through it that God brought them out of it. And we're going to get you together and get this thing healed. We're going to get this thing out of your life. We're going to begin to talk and have accountability. I, I want that so badly in your life. That you have somebody who can hold you accountable. Somebody we can walk this walk of faith with. That's why we have small groups. It's why we have these things. You have somebody that's going to pray and walk with you through it. We have to be humble. We have to allow ourselves to be human. And then verse 13, he says, and guess what? No temptation is irresistible. Don't ever get to the place where you think, well, the devil made me do it. I don't have the power to say no. And so he just, I just, it is what it is. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says no temptation is irresistible. That God's helping you. You can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up. For he has promised this and he'll do what he says. Number three, jot it down as we close. You got to be helpable. We got to be humble in our lives. We got to be human in our lives. Watch this. He says in that verse, he says, but God will provide a way of escape. God will show you when the temptation gets to be so strong. He'll show you how to escape so you can bear up patiently against it. Number three, you got to be helpable. Now, full disclosure, I don't even know if that's a real word, everybody, but I needed an H because I have preacher's disease. And so you got to allow God to help you. If we're going to be if we're going to be humble and we're going to be human, you have to allow yourself and put yourself in a place to allow God to help you. See, when we get in trouble, a lot of times we run from God instead of running to him. And you see this all the way back to Adam in the garden when we have our worst mistake. Too often we will run from God and that is the last thing in the world we need to do in those moments. It's when you need God the most. And we tell ourselves the lie of I've got to get it together to get to God. And God is saying, no, 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 come to me and you'll get it together. But we lie to ourselves and we run from him. Let him help you. Because his power is greater than anything that you have. His power is greater. And you say, why am I stuck? Why am I in this cycle? Why this thing? Let him help you. Part of being humble, part of being human is realizing how flawed we are. And I want to read a verse that you have read a million times before. I want to look at it with kind of fresh eyes. And so we're going to read it out of the message. Again, I, I deal very carefully in how I use these. But I want to give you maybe fresh eyes today to read this verse out of John 3. And he says, this is how much God loved the world. This is how much God loved you. And maybe you have forgotten the truth of this, or maybe you have just kind of glossed over it, or maybe you have applied it to everybody else in your life. But listen, this is how much God loved you. You. This is how much he gave his son, his one. He only had one and he gave it for you. 
Why? Why would he do that so that no one needed to be destroyed? But that by believing in him, believing in Jesus, watch this word, anyone. But by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger. Listen to me, I don't know what sin you have found yourself in. I don't know how far you think you are. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what you walk through. I don't know what it is you think disqualifies you. But my Bible says anyone, anyone can call on the name of Jesus. Anyone that this free gift of salvation, that God sent his only son so anyone can have the life that Jesus came to bring. That his dream is for you. And I love this thought. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger. No, no, no. Bad, bad, bad. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You think God went through all of this just so he could condemn the world. You think God would do all the things that he has done. If you look at the redemptive plan of God, you watch the Bible cover to cover and you see the love that God has for us. His plan of redemption. All the things that you think he did it just so he could point his finger. And you're not reading your Bible. It says he went through all of this that he sent his only son. Not to show the world how bad it was. Not to point an accusing finger. He came, watch this, read this with me, every voice together. He came to help. He came to help. He came to help to put the world right again. Listen to me, church. Jesus didn't come to make you feel sorry. He came to set you free. He came to set you free. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray today. Father, I thank you that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so listen to me, everybody, as we bow our heads and as we pray together here at the end of the service, just want you to know if you find yourself in a destructive cycle of sin, I want to pray today that you would be set free. I want to pray that you can leave this cycle behind, that you can be set free from these areas of your life that have dominated you, that have mastered you, that God would set you free. But for some of us, we have walked that path of, I want it and I deserve it. And so I can handle it. And you have found yourself broken and lost and alone because you could not. And you realize you have told yourself the lie of, I can handle this. You found yourself mastered by it. So every head bowed, every eye closed. I want us to pray together because maybe you have woken up to the reality of the fact that you are trapped in sin. Others of you, maybe you're here or you're watching online and maybe you've never been close to God. But you realize you are trapped in the life that you are living. And maybe you're hearing that verse for the first time. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. I don't know what your experience is. But maybe you're hearing that verse for the first time that God loves you. More than you can possibly imagine. More and in spite of your sin. That he loves you and that he wants you and that there is redemption and forgiveness for you. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. This is your chance. That God still wants you. 
that he still loves you, that in spite of the cycle of sin, despite anything that has you mastered, despite all of that, that Jesus Christ came to die on a cross and he rose again, that anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. This is a moment for you. And so I want to make an offer to you. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come to a back room. I'm not going to make you even stand up and come to the front. I'm not in this to embarrass you. But right now you can make a decision to call on the name of Jesus, to repent of your sins and to be saved. Right now you can make a decision. And listen to me, this church, we have dedicated ourselves for countless years to pray this with anybody who wants to pray this prayer. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we have found salvation, but we are not perfect. We just got to the hospital a little earlier than everybody else. You understand that? And now we have dedicated our lives to pray this with any person who wants to pray a prayer of salvation. So every head bowed, every eye closed right now. If you say, that's me, I want to pray that. Come on, church, let's pray with them. Nobody prays alone. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent of all my sin, of all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross, and I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for every person in our church. God, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to say no to the things of this world and to say yes to you. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us of what the word of God says. I thank you that you have called us to be lights in this world. So I pray right now. God, I pray, God, that you would, you would give us the power to say yes to you. God, we thank you that you'll help each one of us find a real relationship where we can be held accountable, where we can be open and humble and honest. Father, I pray that you would plan us in small groups so that we can, Father, be human. And as we walk this walk together as a church, I pray, Holy Spirit, continue to help us. Continue to be inside of us. Continue to help us walk this life. This life of sanctification, this life of following Christ, this life. We thank you every day for the love you have for us. We thank you for the promise you have made to us. And we thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we pray it all as a church with one voice we say in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?